0: Ajahn Suchito uh, describes concentration in this manner when relaxed concentration naturally occurs he calls this natural occurring concentration the joy of embodied presence isn't that a lovely phrase the joy of embodied presence this happiness of mind that accompanies concentration, that leads to further concentration, is the direct knowing, the direct experience of this embodied presence. Tonight I would like to continue the exploration of intimacy and effort that Eugene uh, started introducing us to last night in his talk And I'd like to do that by looking at the big C word of commitment. (laughs) Commitment to intimacy, commitment to equanimity, and commitment to continuity in our concentration practice. So this committing to this intimate knowing of an object, in our instance, the breath. This committing to having a kind of stability of mind and a commitment to this continuity of that stability of mind through time. Continuity is this maintaining the connection. In one sense, it is making the commitment to be connected over and over and over again. Bhikkhu Bodhi says that vitaka, this connecting to the object, is the most important of the jhana factors for that reason because it, it, it requires that commitment to the connection over and over again. In another sense though, once we have gained the momentum, once we have achieved some level of intimacy, with the object, some level of commitment to the object, that, that uh, amount of effort involved in continuing the commitment is not so much. And it's the same way in our, our regular life experiences too. You know, once, you, once you've established a friendship, you still have to make efforts in that friendship, but it's not the same thing as getting it started. And we won't even touch relationship in terms of that reflection. So this, this commitment to that continuity. With equanimity, it is a commitment, a surrender to one-pointedness, to developing the mind in such a way that it is undisturbed by disturbances. This is equanimity. It's a balanced mind. It's a centered mind. It's not disturbed by what arises in the field. Even though what arises in the field might be a, a bit rough, it might be jarring, but it's not disturbed by it. An easy example of that is a sharp sound when you're in strong concentration just passes through you like a wave, like like a breeze or something, and it doesn't disturb the mind. And as a matter of fact, it, you can be so committed to this uh, this one pointedness that many sounds just don't register at all, even though they would or- ordinarily be quite strong sounds. They just don't register. They're irrelevant. They're just they just don't register, even though somewhere inside uh, they can be known because there's some level of discretion that I've witnessed in this. So if you suddenly heard. You could be in a deep absorption and you certainly heard someone crying for help. Out of nowhere there's this knowing to respond to that. It's quite marvelous in a way. And then with the commitment to intimacy, which is where I would like to begin, we are committing to really know something, to really be with something. In this instance, on this retreat, for most of you, it's the breath. I don't know how many of you, when you were uh, in uh, middle school or high school or college, read The Little Prince. Just actually, show of hands, how many of you read? Almost everybody read The Little Prince. Well, then, you will remember that uh, The Little Prince came from this faraway planet, and he had a flower. There was only one flower on his planet. And he so was uh, devoted to this flower, although it was a very difficult flower. She was very moody and demanding and all. But he felt completely committed to her. And then when he uh, went on his travels, he was dismayed to discover that his was not the only flower in the universe, that there were endless flowers in the universe. And finally he learned from the fox that what made his flower unique was his relationship to that flower. And so it is with the breath. You have endless breaths. We're all having endless breaths. There's billions of people having endless breaths. Even more animals having breath. So what makes this breath special is our commitment to it. The attention we bring this willingness to know it intimately as what's true here and now, what's immediate in our field of experience as a means of aliveness, that we feel our own aliveness in knowing this breath. That brings with it this kind of joy. It brings with it the uh, immediacy of experience that, that floods it, that fills up, this whole circle of awareness, that one point that then fills out the whole circle of awareness. Eugene talked about it last night in terms of the intimacy being part of the vertical axis. It is what I was talking about in terms of softening into the moment. How do you know what's uh, what, what's in this moment deeply? You soften into it. Uh, if you remember the exercise with the hand, we can do another version of that. Raise your thumb. Look at your thumb and observe whatever you can observe about it. Length, wrinkles, spots, curves, hardness. Whatever you notice, just looking at it. Oh, well, it's like this, it's like that. Shaped a certain way. And then uh, close your eyes and feel the thumb. Penetrate it. Soften into it. Is it vibrating or is it still? Is there warmth or coolness? Is there tingling? Is it tired or does it feel relaxed? Is it stiff? What's its characteristic from this felt sense? It's the felt sense that's the intimacy. Now, keeping your eyes closed, just move the thumb. So this is the second part of thumbness. It's the thumbness. that's the intimacy, this moving of it, feeling, oh, it moves like this. It's, it can circle one way easily, the other way not so easily. Oh, it doesn't like to fold so much. Or, oh, it's easy to fold. Oh, oh, this is thumbness. And let your hand down and open your eyes. This felt experience of each breath In this way. This breathing moment, breathness, is like this. Breathness is like this. So it's not a distant observer. There is breath. You don't really need to pay attention to that to know that's true because you intellectually know it's true. But you have to show up. You have to be committed to meeting, to being with this breath. In order to know it. And as we do this, the mind delights in knowing anything in this way. The mind is of the nature to know things in this way. It's just of this nature. It likes knowing things in this way. And that's why the delight comes, this beautiful breath, this happy breath. And then we can do things with it. Uh, Eugene mentioned last night about creativity. When we are intimate with something, we have many more ways of responding to it. We can bring all of our resources to bear in terms of it. So even in terms of the breath, we can see what's skillful or unskillful in terms of the breath. But in Vipassana, when we uh, look at Vipassana and the role of concentration and being intimate with each object of experience, in Vipassana We see what's skillful, we see what's suffering, not suffering. We see when there's clinging, not clinging. We see where we can have choices in this. Because when we are intimate with this, we are in relation to. And when we are in relation to rather than in reaction to, we have a lot more choices in this this, uh, relationship to, a lot more. Oh, there's an a old saying that's said many different ways. If 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 you want to know, if you want to overcome something, you must first know it. Sometimes it's said, if you really want to conquer something, you must first let it in. The sense of knowing, of being intimate with, this is vipassana, this direct experience, the intuitive knowing. It's intimate, this vipassana. So, why is it so hard to uh, have this kind of commitment to concentration, this intimate uh, level of concentration? Because we don't mind concentrating in tasks. We're happy to do that. Solving a problem at work, getting something fixed in our house. We're happy to do that. But this is so much harder. And there's a number of reasons for that, I would suggest. One is that the mind is trained for acquiring and avoiding. So the mind wants to go acquire something or it wants to avoid something. This, this uh, taking a rather neutral object and being intimate with it, you're not going to acquire anything. You're not going to avoid anything. So there's not the stimulation the, the our reptilian mind, if you like, our reptilian brain, Uh, would not be uh, attuned to doing that. Furthermore, the mind is attuned to noticing what's different. When we're with the breath, we're with the same old thing over and over. And our mind attunes to habituate that. It takes it into the unconscious level so that all of our processing power can be available for this uh, uh, avoiding, if it's fearful or acquiring it, if it looks good in one form or another to one of our senses. And and so that is part of the the resistance that we're having to overcome. And then the mind is also geared to problem-solving. And this kind of attention cultivation is not a problem-solving as is usually recognized. And then finally, the mind is just a contrary. It's ornery. It is resistant to accepting whatever is. It wants to sort of fix it a little bit or add something to it or delete a little from it. And we're just letting it be. So we're having to overcome a lifelong series of conditioning to be with this moment. That's why a certain amount of efforting is required, a certain amount of resolution, a certain amount of cultivation of moment-to-moment intention. We're doing this in the service of concentration here, but you turn right around and use that concentration, everything that you've cultivated in terms of the, the mindfulness practice. So it is so useful. This mind, uh, this ha- habits of mind that are so strong in us, we've identified with. So we think that's who we are. We don't really recognize it. It's just a habit of mind. We think that we are a certain way and therefore we can't concentrate. And we, we fail to recognize that, that that's not me or mine. It's just a bunch of habits that have been around a long time. And then finally, the ego uh, will feel threatened by this coming into concentration. This came up in two or three interviews today where people in some way were making a reference directly or indirectly to this kind of, I don't know about this concentration. It's like the mind doesn't want to go there because it's as though the ego feels as though it is going to lose its freedom if it becomes concentrated in this way. And in one sense the ego's right. There is a loss of freedom because it's it's just resting in one place. It's just resting in this inhale, this exhale. But paradoxically, the ego mind is completely misperceiving because in this staying with in this commitment to staying with in this intimate way, the mind opens to a whole other level of freedom that the conscious mind may not really know at all. And this freedom is a freedom of contentment. So the mind isn't restless. It's not all the things it's geared to and attuned to and uh, conditioned to and resistant. It's not interested in that anymore because it's so content. So it's got a fluidity that it has not known. It has not considered part of its characteristics. When you start getting the level of of, uh, collected and unified mind that some of you are now reporting in your interviews, you recognize this. You recognize this contentment. It's also a freedom in that it can stay with something so that it can fully receive it. It can really be intimate with anything. I don't know how many of you have noticed the way the wind is blowing the grass down as we go down towards the dining hall. It's blowing, it, uh, it's blowing it out towards the road. It's blowing it back into itself, and it's blowing it up over the hill. How many have noticed that? Wow, almost every person. If you haven't, watch it tomorrow if the wind is there. It is so beautiful. Uh, Eugene and I were talking about, and he was, he was saying, why is this so satisfying? Why is it so satisfying? And it's because this is the normal, in my view, this is a normal flow of our own mind stream. Our mind stream blows just like that. And when we're not pushing and pulling at it, when we don't think we've got to do anything with it, when we're just there with this flow of this moment of knowing breath, this knowing of the inhale, this knowing the still point, this knowing the exhale, it's got that same deep soothing satisfaction of that grass blowing on the hill. Because in both instances, it's the air element, huh? It's the air element. So we're seeing an external uh, manifestation of what we can feel internally. And then there is also, there's also uh, uh, an ability to penetrate when we are Uh, in concentration. And that that penetration is so much freedom. And it's a two-way penetration. We are able to penetrate the object and the object penetrates us. That's why it's so intimate. So the breath, you penetrate the breath. You know it from inside. And then you become the breath. So now the breath is you. It's so intimate. There is so much insight can arise from this level of knowing. The freedom to really know something. And again, it applies in every mind object, every emotional experience, every memory, every plan, every wanting, every aversion. But for our purposes, we're just limiting it now so that we can have it in depth around this of breath. As Steve mentioned the other night, this contentment of mind can be so strong when this concentration arises that we go, wow, this is it. This is what I've been looking for. And that is uh, sometimes referred to as a false nibbana because it can lull us into thinking that this is all we're capable of. We can start to identify with this and think that this is the end of our journey when in fact we have finally reach the point when we can use all of our facilities to continue on our journey. One yogi today talked about how for him, as he was noticing this moment and uh, this way, he was really just being there with it, that that sometimes it felt like a flattening of experience, that the the breath got flattened. When that happens, because that can happen, That is because the breath is being seen from a a certain perspective. And from a Buddhist psychological perspective, each moment is arising as a a distinct moment. And in that moment, it's sort of like a flat screen, that it's one after another like a movie. So when you're seeing it in that particular way, there can be a kind of flatness. But more often, the flatness that we experience is because we're not opening to it in depth. We're not being intimate with it. We're a little too removed, so it's just like well, it's like counting cars on the highway, you know, you know, one, two, three. And so it's like being a bean counter. That's a flattening experience. That's deadening. But as we really see each breath, feel each breath, intimate with each breath from inside, very different experience in that way. I want to um, read you a poem that um, I usually read in relation to Vipassana retreats, but it's appropriate here as well, because it has to do with this uh, uh, freedom, this gain, the fruit of when the mind stays collected and unified around any object this capacity to stay collected and unified. It's called Look Around by Mark Nepo. If you try to comprehend air before breathing it, you will die. If you try to understand love before being held, you will never feel compassion. If you insist on bringing God to others, before opening your very small window of life, you will never have honest friends. If you try to teach before you learn or leave before you stay, you will lose your ability to try. Repeating, If you try to teach before you learn or leave before you stay, you will lose your ability to try. No matter what anyone promises, to never feel compassion, to never have honest friends, to lose your ability to try, these are desperate ways to die. A dog loves the world through its nose, a fish through its gills, a bat through its deep sense of blindness, an eagle through its glide, and a human life through its spirit. When we are able to stay with something, to know it intimately, to collect and unify around the experience of it, we are staying. We're not leaving. The untrained mind leaves the moment. Even if it's a pleasant moment, it leaves it. It starts thinking, oh, how can I get more of it? Or who's going to take it from me? Or, oh, if I just had this, it would improve it. It's true, you know that from your own experience. We leave before we stay. This movement that you're involved in in your own inner experience, you're learning to stay before you leave. That's radical. That's changing your level of intimacy with your full range of experience or so it would seem to me. Onolayo, when he talks about concentration, he says that there's three big advantages to it. That we have this stable and receptive mind. That we, ha- that we have an intense pleasure and happiness. And we have this inner stability and integration that allows us to withstand disturbing effects. So it's pleasant, it's pleasant, the mind's stable and perceptive and we have the stability of mind. So imagine having all three of those characteristics around anything you wish to be intimate with. So empowering in this way. For that reason it is uh, worthy of a balanced judicial effort. It is worthy of your taking some degree of chance, of maybe a little over-efforting, of, of a little uh, risk of of missing. Uh, of, uh, every, every creature wants to hear the Dharma. <laughs> uh, of, of missing a breakfast or missing uh, missing some sleep of of not indulging in that fantasy, of sitting a little longer even though it's a little uncomfortable, not intense pain, but a little uncomfortable. It is worthy of that effort, of, of committing to the discipline, of staying with, of coming back. It is worthy of it because of this great opportunity. In this retreat, We have, through our talks, through the various guided meditations, through what we've done in interviews, through your own experiences, we have cultivated your knowing the intimacy of concentration through experiencing concentration in a lot of different ways because this is one way we become intimate with anything. We know it in all these different ways and at the Mahabodhi temple in Gaya, where the Buddha was enlightened, you circumambulate the temple. You keep your right shoulder to it and you walk all the way around it and there's a different feeling, a different experience, all the different places. A very, very inspiring thing to do. And in this way, we have intellectually been exploring. We've walked around. So we've, we've been to the intellectual understanding. We've directly experienced the, the intimacy of, of this concentration. We have cognized it by knowing that we are concentrated to some degree, knowing how much we're not concentrated. We've cognized it. We know, we know, oh yes, it's, we, this is, I'm somewhat concentrated. Oh, I stayed this long. Oh, it was steady. It wasn't so steady. So you're starting to know the individual characteristics of it. And you've also experienced the importance of intention that I intend to be present. You've had a direct experience of that. So we keep circulating through it. We circle around it. You've experienced the benefits of it, the contentment, the joy, the ease, when the mind is, is content, the relaxedness, the sense of spaciousness. You've experienced that. You've also Uh, had this taste of being a little concentrated or a lot concentrated and then losing it and then having it and then losing it. This is part of the intimacy of it, of knowing it. And by having so many different ways that you have felt it when you felt concentrated. You've had a whole bunch of different experiences of it. All of that makes you not just intimate with the breath but intimate with concentration itself. So you start to have this mastery. If you want to master something, you must first know it. You must first let it in. The same theme coming around and around. And then through this effort, we commit to continuity. Commit to continuity. I personally, when you're in reporting on your experience. This is just my own little map here, but I listen. I hear your experience of continuity in five different aspects. One is its duration, a sense of how long you are staying with the continuity. Might be I get a sense, oh well there's some minutes Sometimes it's some minutes, or some of you it's, you'll say it's it was almost an hour, and some of you said oh it's, this stayed for hours so I, I listen, I hear the duration. I also listen for the steadiness. how steady was this concentration? Oh well, it was wavering a lot there was there was concentration, but there was a there was a lot of brief interrupts of it, so it was it was it wavered a lot or not. I listen for how it, much uh, intensity there was how fully it occupied your whole mind space. Just how much, how intense were you concentrated in in this moment of breath? And I listened for the depth. By depth, I mean how how firmly settled it was. So therefore, how hard to disturb. So was it easily disturbed or hard to disturb? And I then listened for the scope. Was it one-pointed, really one-pointed? Was there a few points of this concentration? Or were there many points of the concentration? Because you, you can have a field in which you're concentrating in that field. You can have just this one small point. You can have, uh, you can have two or three points and you're, you're moving uh, around between those. And so I'm listening in that way. I mentioned these to you just in terms of your own noticing for yourself the duration of this. So you're not judging, you're discerning. You're just, oh I'm going to, I'm going to take a resolve that I will stay uh, concentrated on this breath. I'll be with every moment of this breath for two minutes or one minute or 30 seconds. I'm going to work on this duration. I'm going to stay on this breath. I'm going to be so steady nothing's going to interfere. It's only going to be one breath but there's absolute steadiness. Absolute steadiness or i this uh, there's going to be nothing but this breath, everything else drops away right now. I am just this breath, or nothing will disturb this. I'm dropping in as deeply as I can, and I am rooted in this I'm grounded in this, it's just this breath, grounded nothing disturb it the hardest to cultivate directly in my opinion and this the scope oh i'm seeing that this i'm really i'm i'm really noticing the breath and then a lot of body sensation that's really kind of the that's the scope of this right now and that's fine but i know what the scope is and so i oh, and i'm it's i'm able to do this scope so therefore if it starts to add more things i say no because this is working. I don't have to indulge because the mind goes, oh, well, this is kind of fun. Let's add something else. No, I'm staying with this. Do you kind of get this? Like how you start to work with your own uh, process here. You can be uh, empowered because of, of your uh, reflective knowledge. You are, you're aware of what you're aware of. You're aware of, your, of, of the manifestation, the characteristics, the aspects. of of the concentration. Now, our ability around each of these in any given moment, because it varies a lot, as you've already noticed in all these moments, this is affected, each of these aspects are affected by the immediate conditions inside yourself. Everything from how sleepy or tired you are, to how hungry you are, to uh, your mood, to uh, what were the thoughts you had walking up the hill, coming into the hall. It's also affected by external conditions. Oh, it's really quiet in the hall and that quietness really inspires your, your, uh, your ability to stay with or to be more steady or to have an aspiration to any of these. Uh, also, the larger circumstances of your life can affect it as can your past history because sometimes the past history is really present with us for whatever reason. The, the kinds of training, the amount of practice, this can affect each of these. And we can choose more practice, we can choose more training. And then, and I always really want people to hear this, there is a genetic component, call it karmic component or whatever. People really vary in their capacity in each of these aspects of concentration. You know, some of us have much more steadiness just by nature of, steadiness of mind. Some people can drop into this depth and it's just easy for them. They haven't practiced that much. That's just the way it is. So that's why the Buddha says, not better than, worse than, same as. Any kind of movement in that direction is moving away from the direct experience. You're only working with what's available now, and not the same. Not and and not even comparing to your own same as yesterday, or better than yesterday, or worse than yesterday. You never know what the next moment is going to bring in terms of each of these capacities, these aspects of concentration. There is one. Uh, aspect of uh, resistance to continuity that I pointed out to uh, two or three of you today that I'd like to bring to everyone's attention and that is that we can have a real fear of the continuity. That fear of the continuity can be that oh if I if I really stay with this breath, this breath, this breath and I start getting absorbed and more absorbed then I'm going to be out of control. I won't be in control. I don't know what's going to happen next. I won't be ready. I won't be ready. This is a real fear. It is an understandable fear from the ego mind. We're in a very safe environment here. So little reason to think there would be external harm. But we can be afraid of internal harm. We can have a, uh, a fear of what we're going to feel, or what's going to happen to us or that if we go into this we can't get out of it or that there's uh there's even a fear that if we do our best it's going to be inadequate so if we don't really try then we didn't really we didn't really fail all of these fears are so natural so human all to be met with compassion and I would like to be a little more available. Yes, I have this degree of fear, or I might have this degree of fear, and I want to go for it a little more. That's is part of this efforting, this wise efforting. I'll just try to be a little more available. I was sitting at another retreat. I had just come to visit with Sharon Salzberg. She and Joseph were teaching a retreat and Sharon and I were going to uh, have a nice visit after. And I came in for the sit before the talk and sat through the talk. And as I was sitting there, uh, somehow uh, this uh, this realization of not-self, of no-self, came to mind. And my mind was uh, very relaxed, very concentrated. I was very happy to see Sharon, and I my mind gets very... Um, I, I like sitting with Sharon. I like the something that my mind attunes to when she's leading us sit now. So there I'm sitting, and... And uh, I'm not trying to be concentrated, but I'm getting more and more dropped in. There's steadiness, but the steadiness is around this, uh, this these insights about not self, no self, and the insights get more and more clear. And one layer of what I'm identified with starts to drop away, and I just it's gone, and I'm right there with it. It is now gone. And then another layer drops away and it's gone because the mind is so steady there's no getting it back. It's gone because the the mind just isn't moving. And then another layer drops away and another layer drops away. I was left with one little thread (laughs) of any sense of connecting to a self. And it scared me. It scared me. I watched myself get scared And pop out. I popped out of my concentration because I got afraid. It was happening too fast. This was 15, 14, 12 years, I don't know, a long time ago. And I was not, it was my, I wasn't the me that knows the Dharma, wasn't the one who got afraid, right? It was that ego that was going, whoa, 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 what's happening here to me? It got afraid. It got afraid. And it it was uneasy, and therefore it 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 broke out of the concentration. Now, as soon as it broke out, I was going no, 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 come back, come back. <laughs> but it was too late, right? It was gone. That because the 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 directness, that tunneling in, that spiraling in that I was just describing as you circle something, all of that had happened. Tremendous insight, tremendous insight, and. From my, if I were judging, I would say, oh, I short circuited it. But no, that was the level that was available to me at that time, in that moment, because of conditions. So as I got loose, I got free of that, oh no, come back, come back, I want more of this. Ah, yeah, this too. This too. To be available to our experience is like that, you know? Whatever happens, oh, we'll come out of it. We'll, we'll, we'll be okay. We can move through it. We can be available to it because we, we, we will self-monitor through it in this way. I mentioned last night in the last sit that there's one technique that can be very useful for continuity. And I... Had casually used this technique uh, for a number of years, but I'd never formally used it. Really, got completely behind it until I was studying with a Burmese teacher, who um, his technique of concentration is you you have this one point that's just below the nostrils, and you sit uh, your sits are at least an hour and a half at a time. And you maintain constant awareness, constant concentration on that one point for at least an hour. So there's no wavering. There's only steadiness for an hour. But that's what's being cultivated. Very challenging practice. And not my style. My style of, of, of getting concentrated, and I've been fortunate to... Uh, have a lot of widely varying experience with, with uh, a lot of deep concentration. I really relax into it because I, 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 any time I start trying to get somewhere, I bring tension. You know, I've talked so much about relaxed attention. I will put tension into my attention when I'm trying to get something. So I just, I just make myself available and I've uh, instructed many of you in that. But th- this was asking for real effort. And so I was dutifully doing my effort. And I could get about 20 minutes. And they, I'd go in for these brief interviews day after day. And I'd report the same thing, you know. And, so, and I can't remember if I brought it up first or if he brought it up first. But anyway, he said to me, Okay, uh, when you go back into the hall and when you get close to 20 minutes, you state I take refuge in the Buddha. And that'll do it," he says. "Then you'll be able to do this for a whole hour." In I go, <laughs> and I tried it once; didn't have any effect. But I had lots of times to try it, <laughs> and, and so after you know maybe the fifth sit. Now these are remember these are hour and a half sits, so there's many attempts during this uh, the, this hour and a half. Not constancy, but I've repeated it a number of times. At one point, it took. What happened? I have no idea it just took therefore I stayed longer 30 minutes so I go in no no I don't go in next I I, uh, I then that was I had another sit and then and that next sit I did it again and it took again but then it started wavering I started feeling my concentrations breaking my concentrations breaking and I had the inspiration and I said I take refuge in the Dharma and it worked So I got to forty minutes. So then I go in and I report. Well, you know, I did the I did I I, I took refuge in the Buddha and and my concentration it just stayed. It just settled me immediately back down. It was like that just popped up for that moment, I settled right back down for thirty minutes. And I said, But then it started wavering again and I and then I added I added, I take refuge in the Dharma. And he said, then what happened to that? And I said, well, then I was able to stay four minutes. He says, well, then then did you take refuge in in, in the Sangha? And I said, well, no. He says, well, you do that, and then you'll stay the whole hour, no problem. (laughs) That's a longer story about getting to that hour. We don't have time for that story. But indeed, taking refuge, for me, made a difference. So I asked some of you that were in the hall last night, which of these three most inspire you? Which is easy? Which which uh, touches your heart? So you might try this again. This is wise effort. Oh, I take refuge in the Buddha. The Buddha did this. I take refuge in the Dharma. I want to know the truth of things. I want this liberation. I'm I'm committed to this liberation. And see if it helps. This is a, this is a cultivation of your concentration. That's a little more than maybe what you're accustomed to, but it does not. Have the coloring of grasping of holding on of demanding it has it has the uh quality the characteristic of of inviting of asking of being available is that clear that difference so you you might try that and see, and there's other things that other teachers would have told you I've told some of you uh, in in relation to various experiences you were having. Other ways that you can also do this, but I like this because it's uh, such a we we take the we take refuge all the time, and so we've already done this. We're very familiar with it, and we've had our own intimate experience with this back to the intimacy, and therefore it can be um, uh, it can be available to us in a way that may be surprising. It it does not hurt you <laughs> to do so. So there's not a downside to it. And then we come, having gone through this uh, this commitment to intimacy, this commitment to continuity, we come to the commitment to equanimity itself. Equanimity is this balanced mind that is not disturbed by disturbances. Therefore, you can have a lot of equanimity and have the mind not be all that calm. You know, you, you, you go, You know, uh, uh, my knee is killing me. I mean, it's really, your mind's going, ouch! 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 But you've got great equanimity around it. You are not, you don't fall into reactive mind. You don't, there's not this, uh, your, your whole life doesn't get defined by that knee hurting you. That's the equanimity aspect of uh, that uh, the seven factors of uh, of awakening that Stephen was talking about the other night this 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 uh, this uh, stability of mind in this way, and it 's one of the things that Anilayo was saying is the great benefit from concentration practice equanimity on retreat can develop ahead of the calmness of mind. Sometimes they come along together, sometimes the calmness sort of helps bring the equanimity along. It happens all sorts of ways. But you can cultivate this equanimity in its own terms. You don't have to wait for your mind to get calm. You just stay committed. This wise effort so there's, there's, not, there's a lot of wavering in being with the breath because the mind's not so calm right now. That's okay. You accept that. You stay equanimous in relation to staying with the breath. Your your, your commitment, your intention to be with the breath is not disturbed because the, 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 the there's a lot of wavering, there's a lot of jumpiness to being with it. You, you're, 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 you're equanimous. You're, you're in balance. You have balance. In the mind despite that kind of there's a charge to the mind for some reason or another. So this makes sense to you. This is the, uh, the, to make these distinctions in your own terms, in your own language, so that you, you can distinguish between the calm and the equanimity, so that you can, you can uh, notice and enjoy and cultivate what's wholesome. When there's a lot of equanimity, you want to cultivate that and appreciate it and know it. Oh, having equanimity is like this. Or when there's a lot of calm, oh, calm's like this. Oh, there's not so much calm. But oh, here's this equanimity. Oh, I feel the difference. I know the difference now for myself. Calm is great when we have it. A retreat's a wonderful place to get calm because we, we have uh, created a safe environment. It's, it, there's not a lot of noise in the hall. You know, there's, there's, The conditions are favorable for having a calm mind, for the mind to calm down. It's also that when we have confidence in what we're doing, that will calm the mind down because we're confident. We're confident we can respond. We can learn this on retreat and it will show up in our life. Oh. I have confidence that I can respond and I believe I will respond as best I'm able. And so I'm confident about that. And we can have an attitude we can cultivate, which we do all the time through Vipassana, an attitude of non-attachment. The more non-attachment, the more calm there's going to be. The more non-attachment to how deeply you get into concentration, the more calm you will be and therefore the more likely you are to be more concentrated, paradoxically. We can also uh, uh, be committed to breaking old mental habits that cause us to not be calm. That can be a Vipassana romance. We can, be, uh, we can have this habit of creating Vipassana romances and that gets us all excited and that gets in the way of our concentration. We can uh, succumb to yogi mind, that wonderful definition of of, of yogi mind that Steve gave us that I hope you all remember I don't know if I can say it now you say it for me. the magnification of the insignificant the mag, the, the, the the magnification, of the magnific- magnification. Magnific- magnifying. magnifying of the 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 magnifying of the insignificant to a crisis, to a crisis point point <laughs> <laughs> that is such an accurate description so we can do that around a memory we can have a memory or we can be worrying about leaving the retreat. And all of this can interfere with calm. We can just stop. We can stop the mind doing this. This is, again, this wise effort. We don't have to keep doing that. We've done that movie before. We know how that movie ends up. So we just say no. This is the commitment to being here in this deep, concentrated state. As calm arises as one of the factors of enlightenment, then it takes on a life of its own. It is calm begets more calm, calm begets equanimity, equanimity begets calm, calm and equanimity uh, bring this whole sense of well-being which brings all of the factors uh, more into balance and there's more possibility for this one-pointedness to arise. And then, ultimately, that calm and that equanimity is used in the service not of temporarily liberating the mind through sheltering the mind from hindrances that we do in concentration, but through the vipassana of uprooting the seeds, the roots of greed, hatred, and delusion. So it's no small thing we're doing. And in uh, these questions about, is it mindfulness or is it concentration, you start to see how entwined they are and how they support each other. When you feel protected from the hindrances, even somewhat, please note that. Please. Be aware, oh, my mind is protected from the hindrances right now. I have a, I have. my mind's calm because there's not a hindrance present. My mind's got, got equanimity in it. There's this, uh, there's this quality of mind. Because when we notice that the mind's protected, we feel a satisfaction. And that satisfaction was already in there, but we didn't notice that it was there. And then as we notice it, it spreads and it becomes... Uh, becomes uh, more available to us and very satisfying to have the mind protected. The mind gets protected starting in what's called neighborhood concentration and uh, as it goes towards first jhana it gets more and more protected and it's very satisfying. It's temporary because we're always going to come out of it but it's very satisfying. As calm and equanimity grow As the five uh, uh, jhana factors become more present, as this factor of the connecting is stronger, as this factor of sustaining is stronger, as there's more sense of PT, even though it may be small, but you have no access to it, whatever degree of it is there, as the sukha, as this sweetness, as this this kind of, uh, that's where there's first a lot of calm, by the way, is in this as in this the when there's a, the, the sukha factor. There's uh there's a uh there's a real there's a uh there's a real feeling of 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 gladness of mind and with this the, the the when the equanimity factor comes in really strong and these five factors are all in balance, then the mind really is sheltered. And at any time, in any circumstance it could then go on into The first of these four uh, 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 material jhanas, so-called material jhanas. And at this point in the retreat some of you are getting a little foretaste of that and we're going to be uh, reflecting on the value of these jhanas later on in the retreat. So I thought I would end tonight with just asking you to uh, let your imagination Let your, uh, that's what I call the imaginative possible, let your mind open to just a foretaste, a foreshadowing, a sense, just a hint, a hint of what this might feel like in some way. So if you'll uh, sit up straight, please. close your eyes. and come into the body. Feel yourself imbibed as Ajahn sachito was saying. And just be aware of how collected and unified your mind is right now. Every person in here has a degree of collected and unified mind, no exception. You've had too many days for it to be otherwise. We've seen you in interview, we've witnessed this. So there's this this joy of embodied presence here in the body, this body that's grounded on earth, The earth element resting on earth. And the breath becomes available. It comes to us. A natural preference for the breath arises. Each breath comes to us and is known without effort, without me and mine. Attention naturally rests on this inhale. Naturally rest on this exhale. The vataka, the connection is clear. You know the connection is there. You're connecting, you're connecting. You're sustaining this connection you feel how one moment of breath is sustaining to the next, flowing naturally. There is an ease in this that is joyous, that's got a little buzz. It may be very small, this buzz. It may come in this kind of showering form like rain, or maybe something you're immersed in. This buzz, this little energetic feeling is present, mixed in with the connecting and the sustaining. And as you stay with this, you notice it's a little subtle, it's more subtle than that buzz, but oh, this is sweet. There's there's a mixture of calm in this. so sweet so easeful this sukha and then you feel the stability of the mind there's a one-pointedness it's not so stable maybe not so profoundly in depth but there's a stability around this experience of this breath right now Everything else is in the background. My voice is just part of the breath. You're breathing my voice along with the air element. So sheltered the mind. You appreciate this sheltered mind, it's secluded. not needing anything else so satisfying. And then you notice that the connection is so strong with this breath that that effort of connecting is unnecessary. And so it just falls away. You don't do anything to it. The recognition causes it to drop away. The breath, the breath, the breath. Everything else away. And then you notice that even sustaining attention is unnecessary. Attention is on the breath. So all vitaka and vachara is gone. Now there's this access more fully to the intensity of the concentrated mind. It's got an energy, this intensity, this piti, this little hint of the second jhana. You can now really focus on that buzz, that wave feeling or that pulsation or that honey-like feeling or this exultation or this vibration can really focus on it. No matter how small it is, you can focus on it. And if it's large, wow. And there's an excitement around that, this buzz. And then as you stay with it and the mind becomes more clear as it settles into it, much more clear, and a little more calm comes to the mind. And in that calm, this PT seems coarse. It's coarse to the mind. And so the mind loses interest in it. You don't do anything. The mind on its own loses interest in that coarseness. And then there is this hint foreshadowing of third jhana. Now the predominant experience is one of the sukha. Like a lotus on a pond, it's said. So sweet, so calm, so satisfying. There's the sukha, and the one-pointedness. The one-pointedness is embracing the sukha. This is real joy, no disturbance. And then as the mind again settles, becomes more calm, you notice that that joy, that sweetness, that that very act that at first was so pleasing, it too is a little coarse. There's a lot of movement in that sweetness and that very subtle joy. It's a lot of movement of mind. And as the mind is more calm, it's not so interested in that movement. It's just not interested. And it naturally moves away, drops away from. And the foreshadowing of the fourth jhana arises. This stillness of mind, stable, one-pointed, totally equanimous, not moving towards anything or away from anything, not interested in anything, completely content in itself. Flexible, soft, You've arrived home. Some of you might want to uh, sit rather than do a walking. That's fine. Uh, We will be back at 9 o'clock.